upon this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Breasts, Penises, and a New Naturist Resort Development. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome to episode 43 of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stefan Deschain. I am your host for this podcast, and I'm the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And today we're going to talk about three topics. Uh, three topics to discuss, and they are breasts, penises, and a new naturist resort development that I just learned a lot about. So why don't we start with the top and discuss breasts and uh, what a number of things brought me to uh, this topic. Uh, on May 21st, uh, May 21st, 2012, if you're listening to this and uh, catching up in the future, um, Time Magazine had a cover uh, which showed a uh, mother breastfeeding her uh, older son, and that caused a huge amount of discussion. Um, as usual, um, people thinking, inappropriate to breastfeed period people thinking there his uh, that her, her son was too old and that kind of thing and of course that generated a ton of debate uh, which is not always a bad thing I think we need to question a lot of these things that everybody seems to be taking for granted as we know as naturists as well um, there was uh, an arrest on May 16th so it seems to be the month uh, related to breasts uh, May 16th, Moira Johnston was arrested for walking top-free in New York City. And uh, she'd been doing it for a few days, and this was her uh, the first year she was doing it. Um, we've had a fair bit of uh, top-free uh, happenings, it seems, in the last year or so. Uh, last summer, in the summer of 2011, uh, some uh, women started the... I'm going to try to say it in one take here. The Outdoor Co-Ed Topless Pulp Fiction Appreciation Society. Um, they have a blog, and I'll put a link to that on uh, the show notes, but they have a blog where they show pictures of themselves sunbathing top-free uh, in Central Park and reading Pulp Fiction, and they've had a lot of attention. And Moira this year decided to go for a walk and ex- exercise her right uh, because it has been legal for uh, about two decades, for women to be top-free in New York City as a matter of equality with men. So um, I was very interested by that. And, of course, uh, Moira was arrested by a police officer uh, who didn't understand the law, um, and was uh, she was later released. Um, but, you know, it, it really it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage, first of all, to uh, go in the face of uh, the societal pressure, the social pressure to not be top-free. Uh, even if it is your legal right, uh, what's far more powerful and far more uh, difficult to uh, get over is the, the the fact that others look at you badly and others may even say things to you and you have to have a lot of self-confidence to be able to do that. But also, the police can make life very difficult by arresting you and then just releasing you later. Uh, if they don't agree with you, and it may be, let's, if we are charitable, we'll assume the police officer didn't know the law. 
Um, but if we think a little bit more nefariously, then we'll assume that the police officer just used a tool to defuse a situation because he had people complaining. And uh, since Moira wouldn't put her top back on, he just simply arrested her and therefore took her out of the situation, uh, only to release her a bit later. And really, there's nothing much she can do about that. And that's where uh, you can have an abuse of power uh, by the authorities. And uh, that's just the beginning of a slippery slope in terms of uh, losing your rights if you're not careful. But anyway, I was interested enough uh, by Moira to uh, give her a call and find out a little bit more about what she's doing and why she's doing it. I started walking around the city top three, uh, I would say, in at the end of March. There was a warm day here in March that I felt comfortable physically with uh, with doing it. And you'd never d- done that before? No, I've never walked around top three in public, no. So what was your motivation? Well, um, actually, the first time that I ever took off my shirt in New York City in an atmosphere that was um, basically a, co- a public accommodation. It was a yoga studio called Jiva Mukti Yoga School. Uh, it's in Union Square area. It was in uh, January, and I felt inclined to practice yoga without a shirt, which a lot of my male counterparts did. And so I practiced a few times without a shirt in an indoor environment where it's temperature controlled. And that was my initial uh, inclination and then when I realized the response, which was that many people don't know it's legal for, to be top free in New York State, I decided to um, pursue this activism when the weather, you know, got nice. Now, I, I saw an interview that you did uh, on YouTube, and uh, besides obviously being an intelligent woman, um, you're young and attractive and in really good shape. So... But not everybody seems to express that opinion. Um, I've read a lot of very critical comments, uh, particularly about your breasts. Does that that hurt? The comments definitely do make me, uh, like, reconsider how beautiful I I consider my own breasts. However, the beauty of my breasts has nothing to do with uh, my right to be top free, and certainly any other woman's right to be top free. Uh, if I was older with saggier breasts or fatter with huge sagging breasts, I still have the same right to exercise to be top free. And I want those women to know that I wouldn't be bothered by that. And that's totally welcome and legit in, in our state. And I also, I have considered getting a bre- breast implant in my lifetime. And I actually wonder how that would impact people's comments. And I think it would actually make it even more controversial if I had breast implants. And uh, people are going to be critical no matter what because this challenges the status quo. And I'm comfortable with what what I have, what what God's given me. And so that's that's basically the the end of that, you know. So if you were considering getting breast implants, do you still think that there's something wrong with your breasts today? I've considered getting breast implants actually because uh, I've been working in the adult entertainment industry for about six years. Um, I've worked as an exotic dancer, and many of the women that I work with have breast implants. I've seen a lot of breasts in my life, and 
it's something that naturally occurs to someone that has natural breasts to consider, should I augment my breasts? And I have considered it before, like I said, but I'm happy with what I have. And I certainly think that the body that I have is acceptable for showing people in public. Well, good for you. You mentioned you were in the adult entertainment industry. I hadn't seen anything in the articles where you said that before. As an exotic dancer, I found that it was therapeutic for me to practice yoga without a shirt because it releases the notion that a woman's naked torso has to be exclusively sexual and or commercial territory. And I'm sure many women are used to um, having their breasts sexualized by themselves or by other people. And some women are also uh, familiar with their body being commercialized. And to be in a non-sexual context, such as practicing yoga or going about my normal day, is therapeutic for me because it kind of allows a more open range of what what my body is and what its purpose is in this life. Do you? Why do you think that people are making comments about your breasts instead of talking about what is an act you're you're making an you're 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 making a statement um yet they d- decide to focus on what your breast looks like and try to cut you down by criticizing your body parts why do you think they do that they probably uh criticize my breast to discourage me from doing what i'm doing that's the only explanation that i can come up with is to you know hurt my ego and then make it undesirable, an undesirable condition for me to do what I'm doing. Well, in fact, I already feel comfortable and with, with my breasts. That's why I feel comfortable with doing it in public. And I'm open to whatever kind of response that gets. So are, are you going to keep doing this all summer? Yeah, I hope so. You know, it's... Um... In a way, what you're hearing for the comments from people, I think, is is a really a microcosm of what's wrong with our society, which is we we are saying on one hand that you should dress in very revealing manner, um, but that nobody looks good enough to actually dress that way. <laughs> um, so you know, it's like your body is supposed to be showing off your body, except your body's not good enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it any wonder that we're all getting screwed up? Yeah, and that was the interesting thing about it in the yoga community because people, I think, have enough issues with body image as it is. Um, Even people that are beautiful, they feel ashamed to show their body. And yoga is all about celebrating the body and transcending the limitations of the body. And that's what this activism is really about. It's it's about helping those who do feel comfortable feel more comfortable and helping those who don't feel comfortable, actually giving them a role model to say, oh, okay, I can do that too. I talked in an earlier show about uh, the different uh, levels of offense that body parts for whatever reason uh, cause offense and buttocks are fairly minor and generally acceptable and breasts are pretty much tolerated and generally okay except you know if it's really in your face and too much in public um, and you know women's crotch area for lack of a better word because you don't really see the vagina even when you're naked 
um, is the next bad area, but the really bad area is the male penis. Yes, that is obviously a very, very, very scary body part, capable of creating untold damage and uh, upset just by showing itself. But penises are becoming more common. Um, There's uh, more and more male nudity in film. And uh, it seems to be getting more accepted, it seems, these days. I guess, does that mean it's less offensive? I guess it must be. Uh, We did talk in an earlier show about how the uh, MPA, the Motion Picture Association of America, the people who rate movies in the U.S. as PG and R and all that stuff, um, they had special warnings for male nudity. So there's nudity and then there's male nudity, which of course means penises because there's no breasts to worry about and we already talked about bums not being a big deal. So male nudity is a pre- pretty big bad thing and apparently it's been avoided generally because it gives often a movie an R rating. You can have a nude woman, but if you have a penis, a nude man, that often puts you into the R rating category, which makes it very difficult Uh, to get the broad audience that some of the mainstream movies want to see. But Vanity Fair in uh, March of 2012, uh, there was an article by James Walcott, and it was called The Hung and the Restless. (laughs) Of course, it's so hard to avoid the puns when it comes to nudity. And he says, amongst other things, that uh, the American penis once remained mostly hidden on screen, even when female stars were totally naked. Now it's everywhere, even starring in shame. But this new boldness may be a flag of national surrender. He talks uh, about the reasons for that in the article, which is interesting. And it seems to be that uh, part of it, according to him, is is related to insecurity of uh, the male performers. Um, He says, uh, It is the one part of an actor's equipment that doesn't answer to commands, instructions, suggestions, cajoling, or subtle fine-tuning. Its range of expression is rather limited, its freedom of motion restricted. Except in hardcore porn, it can't fully join in. So, interesting. Uh, and I'm not sure I totally disagree. I mean, there's a... Uh, the, women have their issues with regards to their bodies and what they look like and uh, what, they, you know, what their breasts should be like and with their waists and their rear end and everything else. And certainly we've reached a certain level of equality uh, in that we're making men feel insecure about themselves now too. And the penis seems to be a big part of that, uh, you know, being too big, too small and that kind of thing. And uh, in a way, in a bit of a vengeful way, you see and you hear women now talking about, you know, size does matter. And uh, it's too bad because it's not what it's really about. Um, There's a show which I've... uh, mentioned before on this podcast called Q on CBC, Decane Broadcasting Corporation. And uh, on that show, um, Gian Gameshi, the uh, host, actually interviewed John, uh, James Walcott. And uh, it was an interesting discussion. I'll post a link to that um, in the show notes again, so you can listen to the full, uh, the full interview. But a part of what he says is the following. It's a certain fear among actors uh, that... Well, you know, I'm give, I'm giving away a lot of the mystique. You know, there's a certain mystique at play, and once once you once you show it on screen, you can't take it back. And I also think there's this. You know, there was a great uh, sequence in Seinfeld where 
you know, I, and I'm just saying that that everyone subscribes this, but when <laughs> Elaine said, you know, the female body is beautiful, the male body, you know, it's like a jeep. It's you know, it's got it's got a, this kind of you know kind of just this clunky thing of what's going on down there. So I think there I think there was also that attitude. But I mean, there there are a lot of Hollywood films where it's it's almost grotesque where. I mean, I'll give you a classic sort of Hollywood scene, and it's also a classic TV scene. Some gangsters will have a meeting at a strip club, and we see all the nudity, you know, the bare-breasted nudity of the dancers in the background and then in the foreground right. as these guys are talking it over. You would never see a scene in which you would have, like, you know, male nudity sort of paraded that around that way. It's right. just sort of, you know, cam- not camouflage, but almost like parsley on the plate. It's just much more taken for granted, female nudity. And they talk about the movie Shame. And Shame is a movie that was very well-reviewed and may have won an Academy Award. It was nominated if it didn't win anyway. Um, I don't follow that too closely. But it was a movie, uh, Shame is a movie about... Uh, uh, a man who is uh, basically uh, addicted to porn. And uh, we certainly talk about how porn can be addictive and uh, how it can certainly be very hurtful, not just for the women who are portrayed as uh, slaves or, or just objects for sexual gratification, but it can harm men in terms of how they can relate to women and how they uh, can experience relationships and sexualities. And, and this movie certainly makes that commentary as well. Um Michael Fassbender is uh, nude for the first three minutes in this movie, and it's fully nude, and it's very casual nudity, which is really interesting. It's interesting from a nature standpoint because we don't see casual nudity in movies very often. Uh, We don't see male nudity, but we don't see casual nudity very much, and he's just kind of hanging out in his apartment, pardon the pun. Um, It's not meant to be shocking, but it's, of course, created a lot of buzz because the male penis is so unusual in movies and its appearance in films is so recent. He was also uh, interviewed by the same show uh, in uh, September of 2011 when The Shame first came out. Michael Fassbender discussed the movie and nudity on the uh, CBC radio show Q. For some reason, and if we did that, well, great. I mean, you know, if, if we're sort of projecting the you know, normality in cinema, I'm fantastic. Excellent. But isn't that so funny, though? I yeah. mean, like, you know, that sort of nudity is such an issue when you can like when you have films that are so riddled with violence Mm -hmm. um you know somebody can get dismembered or like you know shot by you know a hundred times and you know it's uh and and one one shot of like a man Right. Uh, full frontal causes such a strange Absolutely. stir. It's, Although it makes, a div- it makes me really question there, like, what, what, there, what, what. As you know, though, there is a divide. The, the, it's not female nudity that gets people exercised. No, that's anymore. what I mean. No, so that, I mean. There's something about male nudity Which that's is so still weird. considered. And I don't get it. It's, no, it seems I mean, so strange to me. I mean, look, more, more, more than half the people watching the movie are male. So there's no, it's no big surprise. <laughs> you know, if, if you do a horror film, it's shocking. My God, what's that? But it's something which is so familiar. And recognizable to you know ninety nine percent of the audience, male and female. So I don't think I don't think we're breaking any sort of new ground here. If you read Naturist magazines, um, almost any one of them, from what I've seen, you may have noticed the uh, advertising for Cambium. Um, there's been a lot of ads, and I've certainly noticed them. They've been very vague on details, as as the website that's listed in those ads. 
Um, it's apparently a development that's happening uh, in the Dominican Republic, and it's going to be a naturist resort, a new naturist resort. And uh, we can certainly use a few new ones, and we can always, uh, we should always celebrate the development and the growth of naturism. But there's been so little information. So I was very intrigued when uh, friends of mine, uh, Jeff Gruen and his wife, Samantha, um, gave me a call and told me they just came back from uh, Cambium and how it had started and how they purchased a, uh, a unit at Cambium. Jeff, you might recall, is the person who did the uh, excellent Nude Traveler video series a number of years ago, um, which is still available if you're interested. You can actually purchase those videos um, through... Uh, the uh, Bear Boutique, and uh, Jeff's videos are fantastic because they're true nature's videos, they're true travel videos, and uh, they're very well produced because Jeff is a professional uh, video um, producer, film person, camera operator, uh, probably a combination of all those things. I know he's also an actor, as is his wife, Samantha. So anyway, I, uh, talk, I talked to them further about that, and she arranged an interview with one of the main... Um, promoters, uh, managers uh, of Cambium. Uh, his name is Glenn Moore, so that we could talk a little bit more about what the project is all about. Okay, well, Cambium was a concept um, set out by the founder, Francois Harley, um, who was a UK citizen. Um, he was suffering in the UK with medical conditions such as eczema and asthma due to the lovely climate we suffer in the UK. Um, so his decision was to go away for a few months to just see how he felt better. He chose to go to the Dominican Republic that, that, in that event and um, noticed within a couple of weeks he completely cleared up his medical conditions. Francois had always been a, a key naturist from day one and he decided, actually, I've got an idea, why don't we build a naturist village stroke resort in the Caribbean, superb weather, year-round and came up with five key phrases live work naked year-round holistically um, he visited about 40 farms around the north coast of the island and the south, south coast and eventually found a plot of land 176 acres um, in size which was a farm plotted it out worked out what he needed to do and then devised a, a plan for moving the place forward it's full of natural beauty. Um, it's very much a case of real um, natural land with plenty of palm trees, all kinds of beautiful plants, um, rivers running through it, etc. And over the, the period of time, it's developed into a village. Um, it's where people buy plots of land and build their houses with their own designs. Recently, we've added the Palm Gardens concept, which is ready-built casitas in one and two in bedroom format. And we're also in the process of developing the central facilities and, of course, there will be a hotel. The concept being that people are able to live there if they want to live there permanently, work, because there will be plenty of opportunities to work within a, a village environment. And um, nudity will be something that will be accepted it's not going to be clothing optional it will be fully naked 24 7 um, and that will be the the standard so would you say it's more of a resort or a residential village it's more of kind of a, a resort um it's got a residential side to it 
um, which because it is separated by a river um, which runs through the, the centre of the, the land. Um, over one side of the, the river we have what we call probably the Morda Resort side of it and the other side of the river is the more residential side of it. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of both really to be fair. So can you, can you go and stay there now? Um, you can stay there now. There's a currently about 11 houses actually completed. There's a further five in construction stage, and um, these are being rented out as from the end of May 2012. Um, the swimming pool and central facilities are going to be commenced in the beginning of July, and by the end of November, we feel that it will be in a a suitable condition to take bookings for the whole of 2013, which is what we're currently doing for rental properties. Um, the, the hotel prospect just going out for investors to respond to, and there's investment opportunities within the hotel for people who are interested in it, um, and that will be built up around hopefully the next eight to nine months. So it sounds like it's already started, but. I'll still ask because I've learned, you know, ideas are a dime a, do- a dozen, um, but it's the execution and getting it done that's the difficult part. How how do we know this is going to get done? Um, I think it, we know it's going to get done. There's, there's two sides to this. Um, Francois Harley, which I mentioned as CEO, is personally um, very heavily involved in it, and he's a very much a concept man, has the ideas, and we, we've got a team of, team of people around us now such as myself looking after marketing, we've got project managers, and we've got various other types of managers, farm managers, produce managers, etc. working on site, aiming to get it all completed. Now, the roads were, bear in mind you started with a complete bare piece of land. We now have roads, we have water, we have power, and we have a small restaurant which is currently built which we use for almost a snack-type place. Um, and already the the concept of it is coming together, the community spirit is coming together, more and more houses are being constructed, and of course, as I said before, Palm Gardens is in the process of being constructed, and we have the hotels and the, all the central facilities. So financially, there's no reason why it can't go ahead. And certainly all the people driving behind it are, are determined it will go ahead. Now, Samantha, you've been listening very patiently. You actually uh, were down there and you've, you got involved. How did you end up going down there? And what did you think? Uh, well, first of all, um, my husband Jeff and I, we went, I believe Jeff had been in contact uh, with Glenn um, and Stefan earlier on, I believe two years ago, uh, uh, when Francois started um, the idea of Cambium. Is that right, Glenn? I believe it was about two years? Yeah, about two years ago. The, the actual land was acquired in May 2010. And Francois had been doing pre-marketing um, for two years prior to that as well. Okay, so so my husband Jeff had been in contact and recently we decided to go down after Jeff had contacted Glenn and they'd spoken quite a bit and there was an opportunity for our company, um, Jeff and I have a video production company, to perhaps uh, shoot a marketing video for Cambium. And we were very intrigued because we wanted, we're naturists ourselves, and we also wanted to kind of go down and check things out. Um, it seemed 
far too good to be true. <laughs> and when we arrived in the Dominican, um, all I have to say is it was incredible. And uh, we had the opportunity, like I said, to shoot uh, the, the marketing video and also see Cambium for ourselves, see some of the homes that have been built up, um, see the area that uh, Palm Gardens will, where Palm Gardens will be built. We had an opportunity to dine at the restaurant, fantastic food. Um, and we did all of this completely naked, um, conducted business naked. It was, in my, my view, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so you bought into the program? Yes, we did. Both my husband and I um, purchased a two-bedroom casita in Palm Gardens. And we also decided to purchase a plot of land because we we would eventually like to become not just visiting uh, Cambium, um, for the resort aspect of it, we actually do want to reside in Cambium as well. We want to work, we want to live, we want to play um, naked, holistically, all year round. So how does that work, Samantha? You're, you're a Canadian citizen. So how do you, um, do you, do you have to get a work permit or residence permit in the Dominican Republic? Yes, you do have to, I mean, we're kind of learning about that now, you do have to go through a lawyer in the Dominican to get um, your residence there. However, as Canadians, I don't know about the rest of the world, but as Canadians, you don't have to give up your Canadian citizenship, which we are not going to do. Um, we're considering having a place still here in Canada and then our home in the Dominican. So we can come back and forth to see family um, and friends and also have you know, our own home here, uh, but still invite family and friends to Cambium as well. So, Glenn, you know, that's that's if you want to reside. But if you just want to invest as a vacation uh, destination, how do you know that your money is safe and uh, what power do you have to make sure that your investment is well-maintained? Um, if you're talking for an investment, the only pure investment opportunities are for, are for the hotel, um, and every payment that is done into Cambion is done for a lawyer's escrow account to ensure that people's monies and investments are protected. I'm sure you're all aware there's plenty of scams going around out there where people send money to purchase supposed plots of land, and the reality is it's a complete utter scam. One of the things we had to overcome when we did our marketing and our market research was to get people's confidence, and that's been done by putting the money into a lawyer's escrow account and, and that's not released until the documents are signed, completed and everyone's satisfied that the, um, you know, the money's going in the right place. So there's complete protection from, every, uh, from the investor's point of view. So uh, whether you're investing in the hotel or buying a casita there, are you, uh, if you're a citizen of another country, are you uh, somehow opening yourself up to taxation in the Dominican Republic? No tax. You, you, the taxation in the Dominican Republic is a is a very much a, a voluntary thing anyway, and it's quite un, unusual for us as um, Canadians, Americans, British, or, or anyone from the Western world really to understand the logic of it. Um, Dominican, you are very much welcome to come in. There is a taxation to pay if you build a property, but that's only if the build cost of a property is in excess of 150,000 US dollars, um, which to be fair, you would have an absolute mansion for that kind of money. 
Um, and then it's a one-off 1% tax is all you have to pay. Um, income earned in the Dominican um, is potentially taxable, um, but there again, it's at what level it's taxable, etc. Um, we haven't really heard of anyone paying any more than 20%, and that's on people earning pretty good money. So the, what is still fresh in some people's minds is the, the story of Caliente, where people bought into a, a very similar resort idea where they could live and they could own a vacation destination and they paid very richly based on a vision uh, that was going to be a, a nature's resort, family-oriented. And as most people know, it they have changed their direction since then, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, they, they're, they're privileged, I suppose, as the owners of the business but a little uh, disturbing to the people who had now owned properties in a concept which they had not uh, bought into. How do they know if that this won't happen here? One of the things that we've done, which was within the lease document that people take over, is a code of conduct, um, which is very um, heavily regiment, um, regulated. Sorry, um, And that is purely because of exactly that. Now... The code of conduct for Cambian is is documented so everybody can see it and everybody signs the effect of it. So much so that even when you go through the main security entrance as a first time as a visitor, you're shown at the code of conduct and you're completely made aware of that's what's going to happen. Um, that protects the people, Cambian as a company. The whole concept of what we're trying to do is to, to allow people to live comfortably happily in a superb surroundings without having the um any risks associated with um other other issues was that a concern of yours samantha oh yes definitely i mean um my husband and i don't don't uh you know we're not opposed to other people's lifestyles that's completely their prerogative and their business however for us we did not want to um be in a place where we felt uncomfortable like a Caliente. Um, uh, so when we read the code of conduct, we, you know, had several conversations with Glenn face to face, as well as through email and over the phone. Um, our fears were, were laid to rest. And I truly believe in the concept that Francois is trying to, or will, um, be able to provide us with that sense of security. So it will not happen. You can be, um, I'm not sure if the word is the right word is, you know, asked to leave. Um, I believe Glenn can probably speak more to that with, with the code of conduct, but it made us feel a lot better and more secure. Well, and here's a question, because that's, that's something that I've always heard people talk about. So then I buy a casisa, and um, it turns out my neighbor is start having parties every night, and there's a lot of swinging and sex going on, and so they've broken the code of conduct. How do you ask them to leave because they own the property next door? Right. Okay. Well, the first thing would happen: they would have a a meeting um, with the management team, and and say that we've received complaints, we've noticed, or whatever way we found out about a particular event. They will then be given a warning um, that it's been noted, which will be in writing. Um, if it happened continually, i.e. more than three times, then we would have the right to say, I'm sorry, but you're 
and they have to leave Cambium. Now, they potentially would have bought a property at Cambium, and that's quite potentially their money, in which case we would then market the property and resell it, and the income that had been achieved from the resale, the less a small fee would be paid back to the person, and they would be not allowed to come on Cambium or take part in its activities. That sounds good. So, Samantha, when you went there, what, what did you see? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> well, right now, a lot of land and wonderful trees and great scenery and mountains and, and the, the wonderful river, um, as well as some great homes. Uh, Francois' home is, has been built. It looks great. There's a gentleman by the name of Guy um, who I believe is also works uh, in Cambium, and he's a wonderful person as well, and his home was built, and we just love that. Um, we were able to see, oh, from anywhere from, we saw a one hut, you know, like a, um, I would say a one-bedroom hut, but I don't even know if it's... It's more like a studio. A yeah, it's more like a sleeping little mm. place, I guess. Um, to a two-story uh, uh, home. But I, I believe that, and Glenn can speak to this a little bit more, that, uh, you know, there are rules, I believe, or guidelines for now building up homes in Cambium. So it, it fits more with the environment of the Dominican Republic, which again was something that I think is fantastic. So you can't very well come down there and build a skyscraper of a home that, you know, would obstruct uh, uh, other people's views or not be in tune with the environmental, holistic environment that Francois is uh, is being very diligent in, in keeping. Um, there was the restaurant, noodles. It was just fantastic. It was really, really great. So how much do you have to be rich to be able to afford a place in there? What's the range? No, the range is, to be fair, from the, the first side um, plot, which is an eighth of an acre, starts at around about 25,000 US dollars. Um, you've got the quarter acre plot, which most people go for, which are around about 40,000 US dollars. The, the ready-built casitas range from just under 100 to around about 120,000 US dollars. Um, you know, there's a full range, but what it does enable people to do is to get a plot of land um, and then build a house of their design. Obviously, the build costs are substantially cheaper than they are in the Western world, should I say. Um, and you can get a substantial house out there, which is very, very nicely fitted out for a very, very small cost. Obviously, one of the, the main benefits is you don't have huge, great um, additional cost month on month. Um, I mean, the one we have in the UK is like a, a council tax, which is a, um, a property tax everybody has to pay, which is quite an expensive one. You then have high electric and high water bills, um, gas bills, etc., which you're not going to have in Cambium. The power on the Dominican Republic um, from the, if you like, the main grid is particularly unreliable. So we've taken the concept that we will go to solar power and each power, um, property will have its own solar energy. We're also, for the hotel, um, going to install a, almost like a small solar farm to make sure there's sufficient energy for that. And as a backup, there will be a generator system. But that will be installed well out the way of the um, everyday life. It's probably going to be installed underground, to be fair. 
is going to have our own sewage treatment plant, our own rubbish collection service, um, ev everything around you would need for an everyday place without a huge great additional costs. And, and how big, Glenn, is this going to get? What's the long-term vision? The long-term vision is you will probably have around about 140 um, properties um, which of, of plots which people have built their own properties on. You're probably going to have about 36 of the casitas, which um, Samantha and Jeff have obviously um, purchased one of. You are then going to have the hotel complex. But then let's take it into the concept. There's 176 acres of very... Um, fertile land um, with beautiful trees etc and one of the things we do at Cambion is to ensure that okay we, we ask people to submit their plans for what they would like to build and we obviously issue a license to build with those plans because we don't want the concept of someone coming along and say I bought a quarter of an acre plot that's build a 10-story skyscraper on with glass front windows it's not what we're looking for we're looking for things that fit in with the environment and such the the, the thatched roofs are very popular with a can of thatch there's obviously the fact of um people also like having a, a tiled effect as well so the combination that, that appears to work at the moment is a tiled roof with a, a can of thatched canopy over a patio area or a, a shaded area within your property and where where is Cambium located within the Dominican Republic? How far from the airport? Is it where's the nearest village? That kind of thing. Well, the it, we're on the north coast of the Dominican Republic, located between Rio San Juan and Gaspar Hernandez, which are the two bigger towns in a in a village called Villa Magante. Um, the nearest airports are Porta Plata, which is around about forty five kilometers um, along the coast. And also in the other direction towards Samana, which is around about 55 kilometres, there's another international airport, El Batli. So there's two big international airports, I guess, within 50-mile radius of, of Cambium. And what about in terms of when you want to go shopping? If you want to go shopping, you would the we will will have um, within the. Um, can be an environment on our own little parade of shops where people will be able to look after their everyday essentials that they need. Um, if you go further afield down into the village, which is around about 1.2 kilometres away, there's plenty of facilities down there. But if you like to go to a bigger supermarket and get your well-known brands that we see in Europe and America, etc., then you go to Rio San Juan, which is 12 kilometres away, or Gaspar Hernandez, which is about 15 kilometres away. And is Cambium on the ocean? Cambium is about 1.5 kilometres away from the ocean. It's not right on top. It's about, it's slightly higher than sea level. One of the decisions based on that was obviously um, the Caribbean does have possibilities of earthquakes, although they do tend to be quite um, deep down into the earth. So it's more of a vibration as opposed to uh, a structural damaging effect. But one of the thoughts was, okay, if there was ever in a risk of flooding or anything along those lines, then Cambin's suitably high enough to avoid any risk of that effect. So there's no opportunity right now to uh, uh, be new on, on the beach in the ocean? Not currently, although we are in negotiations with a local bar on the beach, um, which is literally a straight line down from Cambion to allow um, an, a naked bathing area. 
And, and how, how do you get along with the authorities? What's, how does the government feel about what you're doing here? Um, the, funny enough, they're very, very supportive. Um, we've started working with the local village, um, employing people locally as well. And because actually our rates are paid that we pay are particularly good from their standards, um, we are people, very good quality people who are coming to work. They're very dedicated. And because Dominican is not like um, our world, it's kind of far more friendly and community orientated. And it's become very much a protect Cambian because it's an employment opportunity. And you watch people that have been working there a year who really you know, used to have to walk to work. They're now turning up on new motorbikes. Um, okay, it's not a big thing for us, but for them it's a huge, great thing, and it's changing their lives. You watch their homes improve. You watch things like windows go in. Um, as I mentioned before, new mopeds, transport. These people are beginning to feel the effects that Cambian has brought them. Local authority-wise, it's more controlled by your local mayor. The local mayor is very much on side with us uh, and supports it because obviously it's an income generator for them as well. And to give you an example, you know, the local mayor also does road construction. So he did the construction system within our um, the village of Cambion and put in the roads that we need to go, which will be then obviously updated as time goes on. So there's a very much a positive input from the locals as opposed to any negative input. So for those who don't know the Dominican Republic particularly well, uh, what kind of an island is it? Is it safe? Is the government stable? You know, those are always concerns people have with small countries. Yes, I mean, Dominican Republic is, I guess it's under the Spanish influence, really. I mean, that's what really controls it. It's a Spanish-speaking island. It has a stable government. It's had um, a stable control for the last... 15, 20 years, the economy is growing, tourism is hitting around about 5 million tourists a year now into, onto the island. Yes, it does have the connection with Haiti, which is around about 150 kilometres further along the coast, which obviously is where we, they suffered the um, earthquake there. But the Haitian people and the Dominicans are almost on a completely different level. Haitians to, um, Haiti is still very much a, a poor country whereas the Dominican Republic is moving up very rapidly. And it, it's, it's predicted probably within five years' time it will be um, certainly more up to speed to our normal standards. Things like internet connections are now coming on board. One of the things we're able to offer at Cambion is Wi-Fi throughout Cambion. So people can still work in modern age with computers, iPods, iPhones, that type of thing. So if, if people are interested in finding out more, what would they do? Well, they would either contact, um, look at our website, which is www.cambianbene.com, or they can contact myself, which is Glenn Moore, um, on marketing at cambianbene.com, or they, of course, can contact us by telephone, which is all the details are on the website. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, in May or at the beginning of June, actually through most of June, and you're in the Toronto area, um, Jeff and Samantha will be doing a presentation on July 7th at Bear Oaks uh, downstairs. So if you want to uh, ask more questions and see the pictures that they've taken, you're most welcome to attend. It'll be at 5 p.m. on Saturday, July 7th. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is going to work or not going to work. Obviously, they believe it will. Um, 
and this is always the debate, right? If you buy early into a development like this, you get a great deal, but you're taking a risk. And if you wait till later, then you have no risk and you know exactly what you're buying, but you'll pay the price accordingly. So all I can say is if you're interested in having a place at Cambium or anywhere else, for that matter, where you're going to invest your hard-earned money, make sure you ask all the hard questions and uh, make sure you make your decision, uh, not follow what other people are doing. Well, that's all for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, my name, again, is Stéphane Deschain. I'm, I was your host for this episode, and I'm the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. You can find links to all the items that we mentioned in today's show, and there's quite a few of them, in the show notes on the website at naturistliving, one word, dot bear oaks, that's B-A-R-E, of course, dot C-A. And keep sending your comments and suggestions. I do appreciate getting them. I try to reply to every single one of them. And again, I apologize if I take a long time sometimes to get back to you. The show's email address is naturistliving, one word, at bareoaks, again, B-A-R-E, bareoaks, dot C-A, because we're in Canada. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.